I know what you're thinking. That's not Pastor Charlie. What was your first clue? I'm Pastor Tom Atkinson. I'm the administrative pastor here at Fellowship. And it's, it's an honor to be with you this morning to, to open up God's Word and to share with you. I hope you're excited. Y'all excited? Are y'all awake? All right, good. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles, your electronic devices to the book of Acts chapter 17. We're going to camp out there this morning. And as you're turning there, let, let me just throw some, some front stuff out, as we call it, some, some ideas. Um, social activism. You know, I bet if we surveyed the crowd, there's, there's many of us that are involved in our society of, of helping, you know, organizations, be it like, you know, maybe the March of Dimes or Wounded Warrior Projects or Habitat for Humanities, all great causes. And I bet if we surveyed this room, many of us would be involved in causes in and around our neighborhood or our, our town. And while those are good, let me ask you, let me ask you this. Is what you're involved in turning the world upside down. And I, I'm not diminishing any of it. I'm not talking down to it. I'm involved in stuff. I, I do the MS walk every year. I try to do my part. But is that turning the world upside down? Of all the causes that you support, of all the efforts we put into on a daily basis, is your life turning the world upside down? Let, let me back up and explain. See, as followers, followers of Christ 2,000 years ago, we were given the mandate to go and make disciples. In Matthew 28, he says, All authority under heaven and earth has been given to you, has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing in the name of Jesus. And so if he's given us, if Jesus has given us that mandate, how are we doing at making disciples? I'm convinced that as Christ is meeting with his disciples, before he ascends into heaven, he's not making a casual statement. He's not saying, hey, if you have the time, or if you have nothing better to do, make disciples. But he's saying, as some of my last words to you before I send to my Father, here's my charge to you. Go, make disciples. In fact, it's such a huge issue for Jesus to tell his disciples to make, make disciples that Jesus took the time to restate his authority. His authority on heaven, on earth, and through His authority, we, all of us who call ourselves Christ's followers, have been given the charge to go and make disciples. So, so if we're called to go make disciples, are we? It's one of those questions that, you know, you have to do some soul searching. You know, in my life, am I making disciples? Am I really impacting the kingdom for God? Or am I just going through the motions? What I mean is, when I ask this question, when it comes to my walk, am I turning the world upside down? Is my focus on making disciples so intense, so big, that when people talk about me, they accuse me of being a person who's turning the world upside down? Now, this may be your first Sunday in church. And if this is your first time here, and you're just kind of checking out what this whole church thing is about, my invitation to you is jump into the deep end, okay? Because we're going to invite you to be a part of this cause, and this cause is to take the gospel around the world, to all nations, to all tribes, to all tongues. We're going to invite you to be a part of that. And that's what this whole thing was Christ. It, it, it's not just a, a thing for now, it's a thing for eternity. It's an opportunity to impact eternity. I, I'm not asking us to become nice people. You know, it's not, hey, are you nice? Because even unbelievers can be nice. 
I'm asking if you're engaging people, sharing with people, opening your mouth, and telling others about the saving grace that's in Jesus Christ. You see, what I'm talking about is not some far-fetched idea hatched in some back room of a church. It's not some denominational program or some idea the church came about to mass market to sell books. It's a direction that Christ gave us, all those who call themselves Christ followers, to do. It's the idea that Christ asked us to go and make disciples. Making disciples is a blessing. It's something that he says, look, this is for you to do. I've given you my power. Go. And it's a blessing because when we make disciples, we see lives changed forever. We see people who are healed, healed spiritually, physically, healed from addiction, healed from uh, relationship issues. We see eternity changed forever because of God. But making disciples also has its sacrifices. See, when we, we set out to make disciples, we attract critics. When God is doing something special, in and through us, people are going to criticize us. It's controversial, and people are going to take their shots. In fact, the unbelieving world does not appreciate us coming into their world and changing their lives. So how do we turn this world upside down? If those are the parameters, if those are the basics of what's going on, how do we turn this world upside down? I think if we look at Paul and Silas and what they had in their, their missionary journeys, we'll, we'll get some glimpses of that. And I hope that when we look at God's word, we allow it to transform us. So this morning, I just don't want to glaze over and go through some passages. I want us to look at God's word. I want to open up God's word and say, God, transform us and start with me, God. Transform me as I read your word. Let me not walk out these doors the same person I walked in. Don't let today get by. Just go past, but instead allow God to really dig deep into your soul and allow him to transform you. So Acts chapter 17. Here's the background, okay? Uh, we pick up in the missionary journey of Paul. It's his second missionary adventure. Paul and Barnabas have gone their separate ways. Paul selected Silas as his new uh, a partner. And, and Paul had a vision to go to Macedonia. Along the way, they, they see many conversions, and one of those conversions was that of a slave girl. And the owner of the slave girl was not happy at Paul and Silas, and he gets the guys thrown into prison. During their stay in prison, they experience an earthquake that opens up the jail. As they're leaving the jail, they realize the jailer is about to commit suicide because he knows his life at risk because the, the prisoners are able to get free, and they stop him from doing that. On the next day, after learning that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they apologize, how nice of them, and release them. And this is where we pick up, Acts chapter 17, verse 1. Then they, Paul and Silas, traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As usual, Paul went to the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the scripture, explaining and showing that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Then some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a great number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of leading women. But the Jews became jealous, and they brought together some scoundrels from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Attacking Jason's house, they searched for them to bring them out into the public assembly. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men, who have turned the world upside down, have come here too. And Jason has received them as guests. They're all acting contrary to Caesar's um, decree, saying that there's another king, Jesus. And the Jews stirred up the crowd and the city officials 
who heard these things. So taking a security bond from Jason and the others, they released them. Now, I believe there's three things captured. There's probably many more if we just want to keep digging and digging. Three things that stick out that, this, that we see in Paul and what he did that allowed him to be accused of someone who's turning the world upside down. And the first thing is this, is that we need to create a routine focused on making a difference. A, a routine focused on impacting eternity. See, Paul had a routine. And it says right here in verse 2, as usual, Paul went to the synagogue. This as usual kind of shows you that this was his routine. Like if they came to a new city, you can almost guess where Paul was going to go. Because as usual, he's in the synagogue. Paul's routine was go to the synagogue and engage the rabbis with the truth of Christ. This was his normal course of action. It was his habit. And as I was reading that and thinking about that, I had to say, what is my routine? What, what are the things that I do as usual? What are the things in my life that I just become routine and I can just kind of check out and go into autopilot and day after day after day, this is my routine? You know, as usual, I wake up somewhere around 6 o'clock. As usual, get the kids up, shower, get dressed, make my breakfast. As usual, then I gather the kids, take them to school, drop them off, go to the office. Depending on what day it is, I have the certain tasks I have to do that day and certain meetings I have to be at. Afterwards, I go home. I eat dinner. I run the kids to baseball or dance. You want to make sure you get the right kid to the right place. That could be awkward. I return home, chase the kids to bed, and then off to bed myself to wake up to do it all over again. It's sort of my as usual, my routine. And then I looked at it and said, you know what? So many of your days are routine. So many of your days just look the same. We get in this rut. And I started to take notice that most of my days kind of reflected the day before. They reflected the day before. And I realized how easy it was to be in that rut. How much my daily routine was actually spent, though, on making disciples. That if I believe what I read, if I believe that God has given me a mandate, how much of my day was actually spent on making disciples? Sure, I, I, I could justify my day by telling myself that I'm in the ministry. You know, I'm in the ministry, I work at a church. Surely that counts for something. And, and let me tell you, it, it's a wonderful church to be a part of. And, and this is just attacking me because this church makes disciples. But for me, how much of my daily routine was I making disciples? See, I can justify saying my hands are in a lot of ministries. I support children's ministry. You know, I, I, I'm working with youth ministry. I got things every part of the week in every sort of ministry at this church. But personally, how was I doing at making disciples? Because making disciples involves more than just going through routine. It involves intentionality. And Paul intentionally would go to the synagogues. Paul intentionally put himself in the situations where he had the opportunity to share, to, to tell people about Jesus. And what it meant for me is that I needed to stop just going through the daily schedule and open my life up to what God wanted for me. It's one of those... Stop being busy in the name of God and start allowing God to show you how to be about his business. So to do this required change. And, you know, change can often be a very nasty word. We don't like change. In fact, change a lot of times challenges the very core of that routine that we get into. And one of the things that I decided to change about my life, not, not on the evangelism front, but on a personal front, was I decided I needed to work out. To which you all go, duh. Okay. I needed to work out. So I went to the gym. And one thing I realized when I got on the treadmill, it was fascinating. 
that I started, you know, on the treadmill, I get going, and, and all of a sudden, my heart rate would go up. And I'd start to sweat. And I would turn red. So the only assumption I could come up to was that I was allergic to working out. <laughs> it, it, and with that assumption, I figure, okay, if I'm allergic to working out, I should probably stop. It's probably not good for me. You know, I, I want to get healthier, not sicker. And isn't it funny, though, when we start doing something new, we start changing how many excuses we can come up with. How many things we allow to get in our, our way. And especially when it comes to sharing Christ, evangelism. You know, one of the biggest deterrents to evangelism I hear is like, I've never been trained, I've never been shown. I, I don't know how to share. To that, I would say, we all need to become grandmothers. Hear me out. Who teaches a grandmother how to share about their new grandchild? There's no class where grandmas go to, you know, here's how you open up your pictures. Here's how you tell stories. No, when you meet a grandmother with a new grandchild, I mean, you could be standing in the supermarket line and they are telling you. They are showing you pictures. They're telling you all about this child. You can't get them to be quiet. You're like, that's great. I don't even know you. and You're creeping me out. But they have gone through no class, but yet they're sharing, and they're sharing, and they're sharing. And I think when it comes to Jesus Christ, we need to just be grandmothers. That we don't care who we annoy. We don't care if we've told them, and we'll tell them again about this love of Jesus Christ. In fact, I believe in this evangelism heartbeat so much that we need to be just doing it. We need to be annoying this world. We need to be turning this world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to stop making excuses. See, Paul's routine was to engage others for the sake of Christ. This was his life call, and after his conversion, made, Paul made it his mission that the world would know about his Savior. And because of his routine, Paul saw the rewards of his labor. If we could, you know, all just take on that grandmother mindset, then maybe we would see the rewards of our labor. The second thing this is we need to work towards a desired outcome. What, what, what's our goal? What is it we want to accomplish? Paul saw his reward because he worked with his outcome in mind. He, he worked with his calling in mind. He said, you know what, in, in verse 4, then some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a great number of God-fearing Greek, as well as a number of leading women. Because Paul had the habit of always sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, he would see people come to Christ. And if we're passionate about following Jesus, if we're passionate about living this out, and we're not seeing the fruit, maybe we need to stop and say, how much am I sharing? How much am I pouring into other people? How much am I getting out of my routine in order that people will know about the Savior? What is the reward of our walk? What, what is the fruit? And I'm, I'm not saying, how's our quiet time? Quiet times are good. Life journaling is awesome. It's one of the things that, you know, since coming here nine months ago, I've just been pouring into this thing called life journaling. If you don't want to know what it is, stop and back. We'll get you set up with a life journal. But it's a daily Bible reading and prayer and journaling. It's an opportunity to be in God's Word. And that's good. I, I'm talking about how is your, your life journaling, or did we enjoy the message this morning? I'm asking, in our lives, are we seeing the fruit? Are we as Christians helping others to come to know Christ? Are we walking with others and helping them grow in their relationship with Christ? Or are we going through lives or living in hope that someone else will handle that sort of stuff? I, I think it's real easy for us to come in here and sit and hear about needs and hear about our neighbors and go, I hope 
Or we even go farther and say, I pray that God will send somebody to share with them. When in fact, you may be the person that God sent. And it's time to open our mouths. It's interesting that depending on which set of statistics you read, somewhere between 65 and 90% of our young people will walk away from their faith. 60 to 90% of our young people, I'm talking about the young people who have grown up in our church, who, who claim to have a relationship with Jesus. They're going to walk away by the age of 20. And for me, personally, that means that there, there's a chance that one of my kids could possibly walk away. You know, if I make it personal and say one of my own children could walk away, then I look at that statistic and I say, that's not good enough. That I need to be doing more. And I'm so thankful, I'm so thankful that we have a church that doesn't want to see that happen. See, one of the biggest deterrents to, to having kids walk away is having someone take a personal interest in the lives of young people. And I'm extremely thankful for our children's ministry here, for our student ministry here at Fellowship. And the more adult mentors and positive role models our young people have, the less likely they are to walk away. If we don't have people willing to be ministry partners and work in the children's area and, and young people or with the young people or adults willing to, to give their lives to share and mentor the next generation into a rich, growing relationship with Christ, then Satan's going to have a plan. And I, I guarantee you Satan's plan for these young people, according to John 10.10, 10, is to destroy. And if we just look at society, he's doing a great job already. And I wonder how much a bigger impact as a church could we have if we just pour into that next generation. And it's not just the next generation. I'm thankful for the church because we have this thing called life groups. That's where I don't have to do life alone. And being a new guy to Pueblo, that was a blessing because I got a chance to pour in with other people, to connect with other people who are sharpening me and making me better and, and challenging me to live out the scripture. Not just learn, but to live it out. I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to be a part of that. And if you want to know how to be a part of a life group, we, we can show you how. Just stop one of our ministry partners in back or go online and register to be a part of a life group. But it's a chance for us to grow together. It's a chance for us to say, I have a goal, an end thing in mind that I want to turn this world upside down and I want to get there. See, Paul saw the rewards because he knew that people needed Christ. And Paul worked, Paul's work was about turning people, in, turning people to Christ. And Paul's reward was seeing people come to know Christ. See, I believe that what we value, we do. What, what we truly value, what we truly say, this is important to me, our actions follow. Which takes me to Matthew six nineteen. It says, don't collect for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The third thing is this. You need to create your kingdom reputation. Paul and Silas had a reputation. You know, I'm not talking about street cred. I'm talking about eternal cred. I'm talking about that impact that when we get to heaven, we get to see the impact we had in the lives of other people. We may have impact in the lives of other people. Paul and Silas here on earth had a reputation. They said, these are the men who are turning the world upside down. These, these are the men, essentially, who are you know, in conflict to the Pax Romana, you know, the Roman peace of the time, 
These men are turning this Roman peace, this world we live in, upside down because they're talking about this Jesus. And I just wonder when I read that, how complacent have we become as Americans that sometimes Jesus is going to come in, he's going to rock our world, he's going to turn us upside down. But here's the problem. The problem is the enemy. See, Satan is at work, and he's taking the passion we have to turn the world upside down. He's taking that away from us. He's stealing that from us, and he's saying, you really don't have to do that. You know, that really be, should be for someone else. In fact, that, why not leave that up to the pastors? That's what we pay them for. But nowhere in Scripture do I read that this, this is just my job. I read this as our job as followers of Christ. See, the enemy, he, he's been at work for many years, more years than you've been on earth, trying to steal that, that passion. And, and let me just say this, the enemy is stronger than sometimes we give him credit for. But God, God's power is much stronger than the enemy's. God, God is able to overcome anything the enemy throws at God is able to say, you know what? I have a passion I've put in your heart. It's time to start living it out. If we were overcome with the influence of God, we could be instruments of God to help change the eternal destination of people. So how do we do it? So it's three, four practical application steps on how to do this. First thing is this. You need to recognize where you are. You need to recognize where you are. You need to identify where you stand in order to know where you're heading. Now, men, let me talk to you for just a minute. This is one of our biggest roadblock men. We are not going to stop and ask anybody where we're at. We're just going to keep driving until we figure it out. You know, it's against man law, I think. It's like the minute you pull over and you ask for direction, they're going to say, I can give you directions, but you have to hand over your man card. You know, we know that. We don't talk about it. Women, you've got to understand it's an unspoken rule. We're not going to talk about it to you. But the minute we stop to find out where we are, we just sort of ha have to hand that over. But in life, we need to stop and figure out where we are. Where, where do I stand? Where, where, where am I in this process? You know, I can open up any map, and I can see points of interest, like here's Chicago, here's Philadelphia, here's Florida. I can see where they are and where I want to go, but if I don't know where I'm at, getting there is a whole different route. And so the question is, has the world turned you upside down, or are you turning the world upside down? Are your priorities more focused on the things of this world or on the things of God? We've got to know where we're at. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So it's more than just coming here and hearing a good message. It's more than just life journaling and not acting out of what God's put in your heart. It's not just being hearers of the word. We need to be doers. And if God says go, our response should be to go. Make disciples. See, when we're upside down in our house, it means our house value is less than what we owe. But when we're upside down in our walk with Christ, it means we devalue the cost of the cross and what it means for our lives. Second thing is this. Once we recognize where we are, we need to repent. We need to repent. See, Paul had this thing, as usual, he would do this. He saw his routine. And if there's something in our routine, if there's something in our lives that's not measuring up to what God has called us to do, then we need to stop. We need to confess that and turn. We need to detour. We need to get back on track. It's like, okay, I found out where I am. 
Now I know where I need to go, and sometimes we need to detour to make that happen. If we're not accustomed to sharing, then we need to change something. If we, it, 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 we need to change our direction and repent, turn from the path that we're on and align our lives more with Christ. It's a detour. Joel 2, 12 and 13 says this, Even now declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garment. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sin and calamity. I love that. Rend, rend your heart, not your garment. See, you see, coming to church isn't about, you know, I've got to fix the outer. The outer will follow the heart. And, and too often in churches, we, we get to preaching about, the, you know, the moral of life and, and worrying less about the heart. Jesus is concerned with our heart. God is concerned with our heart. And he says, rend to me your heart, not just your outward appearance. And I wonder how many of us uh, uh, this morning worried more about our outward appearance than our hearts. The third thing is you have to have a decisive resolution. When we recognize where we are, when we repent and change our direction, now we need to come up with a decisive resolution on how we're going to turn the world upside down. This is more than just an emotional response. It's a total transformation based on how Christ is calling you to live. This resolution, let me give you a little warning, just might ruin your life. This resolution may take everything you're used to and turn it upside down. Before you get the opportunity to turn the world upside down, God may just bounce you on your head as you make this decisive resolution. Romans 12, 2 says this. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. It means don't, don't just follow the way of the world. Don't just do what society says you're supposed to do. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Don't, don't just go through the motions. Don't just follow the patterns of this world. Instead, let God transform you. The last thing is this, results. Results, if we recognize the call to turn the world upside down and we've repented and had a decisive resolution for turning the world upside down, then I should see results. If I've truly transformed, if I've truly changed, if I've truly stepped out on what God has called me to do, then I should see results. I should be able to look behind me in the wake of my life and see people whose lives have been changed and transformed through, through Christ's power. I should be able to see how my life has been a, a, a vessel, a, a, a tool for God to use to help other people come to know Him. But if I turn around and see no one change, then I need to go through these action steps again. There should be people in my life that I've led to the Lord there should be people that I'm engaging with on a personal basis. See, as Christians, we should be able to have markers in our past of people that have been impacted because we've shared. We've gone out and told. We've been a witness. We've turned the world upside down. 
So to bring this thing in for a landing, I'm going to ask you guys to just bow your heads and close your eyes. And let me ask you a question. What is God saying to you through his word? What, what is the next step? What is it that God's challenging you with? See, I believe every one of us has a next step. One of the biggest steps is, how does he want me to respond to a message like this? For some of us here, we may simply need to start with a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, this may be our first time we've ever heard of what it is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and it's simply surrendering our ways, letting go of who we are, repenting of our sin, and asking Jesus Christ to take control. Maybe you've never done that, and here this morning it's the first time, and you want to surrender your life over the Christ. Or maybe you're here and you just need someone to pray with you. See, I believe we all need prayer. And there's many areas of our lives that we need prayer in. We want to pray with you. We want to be a church that comes around and helps support you. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, if you need prayer, I'm just going to ask you to step out into the aisles and come forward. There'll be prayer partners here for you. People willing to greet you. People willing to pray with you. Other people will be coming. You're not going to be doing it alone. So if you need prayer in any area of your life, after I pray, I invite you to come. Pray with me. Father God, Lord, here in your house, may you penetrate the hearts of the people here, you Lord. You know the weights they're carrying. You know what this past week, this past month, this past year has been doing to them, Lord. And Father, many are tired. Tired of carrying that load and they just need to, to let it go. While others, Lord, may have been challenged. Challenged to live out boldly. And Father, I ask whatever the call is you place on your, their heart, that you allow them to respond. So Father, it's in your name I pray. Amen.